it's a huge priority that we are good neighbors here. Um, so far, we're doing okay, but that we just um, that we take care of the properties, um, keep it clean. I'm always amazed each Sunday how much trash is left over on Sundays. You guys are kind of messy, piggy people sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's called human beings, right? Um, so just want you to be aware of that, that it's, it's this Tony's property, his dad's, and um, they've just been super cool to let us use it. And um, it's part of our mission or why we even exist um, to be good neighbors. So we're not here just for our own spiritual health, but that we're uh, being an example to our neighbors and, and being good neighbors. All right. Is it, can I be done with this thing now, Todd? I don't have to use this? All right, good. All right. Uh, my last announcement is um, on Saturday, November 16th, we'll have a Thanksgiving dinner here. So if you want to be a part of that, thank you. I'm dyslexic this morning. Saturday, November 19th. Is Karen here, my wife? Hey. Oh, good. Would you just stand up? Like, I have this feeling like a lot of you don't even know who my wife is. Just say, because she's always doing other things. Thank you. And Scott, uh, Scott's wife, Laura, too, they're both almost always over here doing things, helping do, with kids stuff, so that's them. All right, let's pray, and then uh, we'll get into Ephesians. And by the way, thank you, crazy worship band. I don't know what, we have got like old Southern Hick guy here, Lockwood, with his camo orange hat, and... And I just want, where is, uh, Steve, is that, is that a real jersey? Wow, check that out. I want to touch that after church. That is a real Rose Bowl jersey. That's very cool. It's looking kind of tight, though. <laughs> That's good. That's good. All right, let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for um, just this morning. And uh, I thank you so much. Uh, for your word and how we are called to, uh, to open our hearts to it and allow it to speak to us. So I, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would, would, would do that, that it would open our hearts, our minds, and, and renew our love for your word and for the truth that it is, that it, it reveals who you are. And so we say thank you uh, for that. And I just pray specifically for... Uh, the content or the information in this passage and how relevant it is for our church. And so I pray that it would speak to us this morning in a meaningful way. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so we are, uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 3 this morning, and it's really an interesting passage. And I think what I'm going to do, I'm just going to read it, and, I, and then I'll give you a little bit more introduction, and then we'll get right into it. Um, Ephesians 1 and 2 so far have been about understanding what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And we're transitioning um, into chapter 3 and then 4 and 5 about kind of our response to what Jesus has done for us. Okay? So this morning, like I said, it's a very interesting and a little bit complicated at first what, what Paul is doing here. So I'm going to read it, Ephesians chapter 3. Verses 1 through 13, and it says this, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then you might have that, a little dash or something like that in your Bible. 
And what happens here is that he's going to start a prayer, and then right in the middle of a sentence, like we all do, he kind of interrupts himself and goes, oh, wait a second, I've got to say one more thing. So here's how it works. Chapter 3, verse 1 starts, and then it picks up again in verse 14. And that's where the prayer starts. But before he prays, he has this interruption, he has this thought, and he, he goes back to this idea of unity and how important it is. All right, so here's what he says. Verse 2 says, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So, that, so I ask you not to lose heart over, why or, or over what I am suffering for, for you, for which is your glory. All right, it's kind of a longer a longer passage this morning, and what we're going to do is we're going to, and I don't ever do this, and I hate it, but it just kind of worked out this morning. I don't, I'm not a, like a big alliteration fan, but this morning we've got three M words, and, and it has to do with this, that Paul is the model of this mystery. We have a model, we have the message, and then the method of sharing that uh, message. So a model, a message, and the method. And this morning... Um, the, the passage is about how fractured and how divided groups of people can be. And um, it happens all the time. And uh, years ago, I don't know how long ago, 10 years ago or so, um, Todd Mayer and I went to seminary together. That's where we met a long time ago. And you've got, this, you've got a big group of people, and I don't know how Todd and I met, but we both, we, we both didn't quite fit in at this seminary, and it didn't take long for us to find each other. And it, it reminds me of, of like high school days, how you can have a, a big room of, of people, and like the two people that smoke pot, they can find each other in like two minutes. It's like, they did, I don't know, there's something like magical that happens where groups like form easily. So two minutes is long? Okay. <laughs> two minutes is long, all right? So we naturally break up into groups. The Christians maybe find each other and they break off in their group and the athletes. And, you know, it happens in school. And the funny thing about teaching, you know, 14-year-olds is that the adults really aren't that different. They just be get, they become more sophisticated in how they do things. But you've got, you know, you break up into groups. The boys do things and the girls do things. Is that okay? Okay, thanks. Boys will break up into, into groups and the girls, maybe the athletes or the people that think they're more popular and, and the, the people that don't think they're as popular. 
we've always got groups of people. And it happens the same, uh, it happens with adults also. We find people that we can identify with and we often form groups. And, and one of the key words that Paul is talking about this morning, he keeps going back to this word, word called the mystery. The mystery. And the mystery in this context is something that was hidden during Old Testament times that is now revealed. And that is this. The mystery is this. That, that Gentile people are equal to God's chosen people, the Jewish people. And now at first, when, when we hear that, we're like, okay, that doesn't, I mean, okay, that's fine. I get that. It doesn't mean too much. But this is one of those times when you, you need more information. You need to understand the hostility between these two groups. And it, and it goes back in time, and, and it, you could even say it reaches a, a high point um, in the 1930s and 40s in Germany. But before that, you had a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes, who was famous or infamous for his brutality towards the Jewish people. A Gentile leader who was vicious and brutal towards the Jewish people. You have pogroms um, beginning in the Middle Ages and, and going through the World War II era where um, you would have mobs of people who would, who would gather together and do violent, brutal things towards Jewish people. So there was, there was just horrible, despicable things done to Jewish people. Um, it still happens to this day. The other side of it, though, too, was that the Jewish people then would look down on the Gentiles with, um, with disdain, with um, a distrust. There was just this animosity between people. And so Paul is going to say, the mystery is this, that two people groups that disdain each other, they are equals, they are co-heirs, they are friends. Those who were once enemies are now friends. They are equals. That there is unity in the church. This passage is all about Paul pulling, unveiling the mystery that the church is to be a place where people are unified, where people are together. And it, it really is my responsibility and the responsibility of the church leaders to set the tone for our church that we are a place that is unified, that is inclusive, that understands beyond just the surface what this means to have unity. Because here's what most people think. Most people think, I'm a pretty nice person. I don't say anything mean or, or do anything bad. And so therefore, therefore, I'm promoting unity. And in a sense, that's true. But that's, that's understanding it from a negative perspective. And you have to understand it from a positive, too. What are you doing to promote unity? And I'm not even saying, I, we can apply it specifically here to our church, but we can apply it more generally to the church in general. What are we doing to promote unity? What are you doing to promote unity? And Paul has this idea, and here's just a, like a, a specific example for you. The most healthy and positive way that you can promote unity right here today in the coming weeks or months is that you are using your spiritual gift to encourage and meet the needs of other people. You promote unity because we all have things we can offer. We all have gifts and abilities that God has given us. And the unity of the church becomes active and vibrant and becomes alive when people are using their gifts. 
It's not just about sitting by passively and saying uh, something nice about worship or, or teaching or something like that. It's about actively using your gift, actively participating and getting involved in the lives of other people. The reality of that, though, is that it's difficult. Is that, listen, the life is hard sometimes. Life is um, unfair. It's brutally painful sometimes. And um, honestly, the hardest thing uh, about my life, um, teaching middle school and doing church ministry, is that you, you deal with such unfortunate and brutal and unfair situations. Almost every year, um, I'm dealing with students who, whose parents have divorced, a 13-year-old girl that's just dealing with, why is my dad leaving? Or a 14-year-old boy. Or we get an email from someone at home that says, can you please just be a little extra nice to my child today? They were sobbing last night because of, uh, of the tension in our homes. Marriage problems in our church. There's just a continual um, reality check of life that life is difficult. But if we're going to be a healthy church, if we're going to be a New Testament style church, we are investing in each other. We are promoting unity by using your spiritual gifts. And Paul is going to be the example. He's going to be the model of that. Whatever you think about Paul, whatever your perception of him, it's just it's valuable for you to, to think about him and what he's telling us and what he's modeled for us. He, he, um, he is the primary author of the New Testament. He wrote more books than anyone else. And so God has used him in a mighty way. And so Paul is the, he is the model, the example of this mystery or of this paradox. And the gospel is a paradox. You will see this. The gospel living is paradox living. It's, it's understanding that at first look, something might seem crazy. It might not seem right. But when you get the facts or you understand the truth in a more meaningful way, you'll understand the value of it. And Paul starts off by saying this. Verse one, he says, I'm a prisoner. He's a prisoner of the Lord. And he's literally under house arrest. He's chained to a Roman soldier. But he views himself as one who has the riches of Christ. He's seated in the heavenly places with Christ. He's celebrating. He, he's got something radical in his heart, in his life, that, that is a paradox. He's in jail. And and here's the thing, he is so devoted to this unity, he is so committed to this, that it costs him prison. It costs him jail. And that's the thing, we, I, I want to be upfront and honest with you, that to promote unity in a church, it will cost you something. It might not, it, it, it's not going to cost you jail. It's going to cost you your time, your energy, your involvement in other people's lives. But Paul is saying, he's repeating himself here again. He's repeating what he said in chapter 2. That the unity of the church is paramount. That that's how we, that's how we uh, witness and how we, how we tell other people in our community about Jesus by our unity. All right, so let me, let me show you something here that maybe you haven't ever seen before. And it's the story just briefly of how Paul ends up in jail. So if you have your Bible, turn to Romans 15. Romans chapter 15. And this is the story of how Paul ends up in jail. If you don't know, 
just thinking back for just a minute, remember Paul's name was Saul, and he was, there just aren't that many people around like Paul. He was brilliant. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was highly trained and educated. He was devout. He was obsessively devout in his love for God, in his love for the law. In fact, that's why he, he considered himself the worst of sinners because it was his mission in life to kill Christians. It was his mission in life to put Christians in jail. He believed that Jesus was a phony and he was devoted. It was his mission in life to end this spread of Christianity because he felt it was a counterfeit. It was a corruption of what God had called, uh, of what God had called the Jewish people or how, how to, for them to live. So here's what's happening. Paul is on his third missionary journey. Romans chapter 15, uh, verse 25 says this. At, at the present time, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. All right, so you've got poor Jewish people in Jerusalem. And Paul had gone around on his third missionary journey to Gentile churches raising money to, co- to bring it back to Jerusalem to help the poor people. Verse 26, at Macedonia and Acacia, having been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to me. For the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, then they also ought to be of service to them in material blessing. So Paul is saying, hey, you Gentiles, you are partakers of God's blessing. You need to step up and help people, help the poor Jewish people in Jerusalem. And so that's what Paul does. He takes a collection from church to church to church, and people agree to support. Now turn to Acts 21, and we'll see what happens. Acts 21, verse 17. Acts 21, verse 17 says this, When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers, the Jewish people, received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders who were present. And after greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. He was planting churches. Things were happening. And when they had heard it, they glorified God. This is the Jewish people in Jerusalem. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. They have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. So there are thousands of Jews that are believers, but they're still devoted to the law. They're still devoted and, and they're not happy. Because Paul is telling these people to forsake Moses, not to follow the rules, the laws. And so then, as the story goes on, Paul, Paul agrees to do the, um, a Jewish ritual where he agrees, he agrees to uh, shave his head and do these things to purify himself. Verse 27, he did this for seven days. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and said, and laid hands on him, crying out, saying, Men of Israel, help! They're not laying hands on him to pray. They're laying hands on him to kill him. Here's what we see. Paul is the model for us. We need an example. We need to be... Um, inspire. We need to understand that real life, Paul's a real life guy, and his devotion was to set the tone 
in early New Testament Christianity that we are to be a place of unity. That despite this animosity, that despite um, violent animosity towards these two people groups, when the mystery has been revealed, there is unity in the church. That's the type of devotion that Paul has. And as we think through this for just a moment and, and apply this to our lives, is it possible that you're holding grudges against people? Is it possible that you will not forgive because someone has wronged you? Are we holding on to things that prevent true unity from our church? That you just won't let go because they've hurt you? See, that's why we need someone like Paul to say, this is who I am in life. I will, I will commit myself to be a person who promotes unity, understanding that it will cost you something. It might not cost you what it cost Paul, but it will cost you something important. All right, so that is the model. Here is the message. The message is, what is the gospel paradox message? And that's where we see in verse, if we turn back to um, Ephesians, the message is this. Assuming that you have heard the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, these are the, the believers in Ephesus, how the mystery was made known to me by the revelation as I've written briefly. So God revealed to Paul this message. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other, right, in other generations. That's Old Testament times. As it has now been revealed to the holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. This is the mystery, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The message is about a man the message is about a man. It's not about biblical principles or truth. The revealer of the mystery, the revelation of the mystery, is that a man came so that people from different groups can be united and be co-equals. The, the ideal situation would be something like this, that you have devout Democrats and devout Republicans in the same church. That while they might have different opinions about how government and life should, be, should work itself out, they understand that more important than that is that Jesus is the one who reveals the mystery, that we are all co-equals. The idea that there is a hierarchy in the church is a total distortion. There is no one more valuable than any other person here this morning. We are all co-heirs. The message is that Jesus came, that we are equal, that we are co-heirs, just as the Jewish people were originally God's chosen people, we are not all equals. We are the same of the same body. And this is really interesting. Verse 6 again says, The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, these are, these are words, these three things that Paul says, these are words that push us deep into the idea of what it means to be unified as a body. Partakers of the same promise. Paul is saying that it is my mission in life to promote this, to promote the man, the man Jesus, 
who says that all people are equal. And what happens often in churches is that we, we create categories in our mind of how people should fit. We like to categorize people based on how they dress or what school they go to or education or income or address. And we categorize people and we put value or worth on people based on their social status. And that easily creeps into the church. We've always said from the very beginning, we don't want to be the kind of church that just because a guy is, has reached success in the world, that he is automatically qualified for leadership in our church. That while we have a gardener who mows the grass, who has demonstrated years of Christian maturity, that we would look over him. And that's what often happens. That's the natural tendency of churches, where we measure success, we promote people, or we give, um, we give esteem to people based on income, based on race, based on categories that, that fit our grid. And we all have our own separate grid. And Paul is saying, throw away your grid, throw away your groups, throw away your racial distinctions, and understand that you are one, that you have equal value. It's a tremendously significant concept that Paul is pushing here this morning. And it's a paradox. The gospel is a paradox. And that's something we just have to allow that truth to have a, a place in our life. We're to be paradox livers. We're to be gospel paradox livers. Where we're not making judgments based on outward appearances or based on, on uh, people groups that we like. We're to be a place that promotes unity because we're all equal in Jesus. So that's the message, and here's the method of how we're supposed to live this out. And here's the thing. Um, I, I understand that almost every Sunday morning there are people that come to our church that are unsure about Christianity, they're unsure about Jesus. They're just not, they're not there yet. And they have real questions, and, and I appreciate that and understand that. And he, here's what we've got to understand as far as those of us who are Christians. Paul models the promotion of gospel unity. And that's what we want to be about. Sorry about that. We, we want to be um, a church and a people group that are promoting the gospel. And, and the reason why that's significant, you have to understand this if, if you're not a believer this morning. And you have people that are talking to you about Jesus. You, ha you have to understand that, that something happened in our lives, something happened in our hearts that changed. And so it's out of our love for people that we want to share that. But the problem is, is and I understand this, is that Christians are often obnoxious and, and bother people who, who are not Christians. And so my hope for you is that if someone is obnoxious with you and they are a Christian, that that, that would stop. <laughs> but that next, that you'd be able to distinguish. Don't let obnoxious people pull you away from who Jesus is. There will always be obnoxious people, no matter what. My hope or my push this morning, if you're not a believer, is that you'd, you would think carefully about who Jesus is. 
Paul is saying that this mystery is not about obeying rules or obeying laws. It's about a man. And that man, if you are a Christian, he's, he's the man that changed our lives. He's the man that radically changed a life that was a total wreck. Just a, a messed up, screwed up life. And he radically changed and brought a new peace, a new hope, a new understanding of what life is about. And see, the problem is sometimes is that as Christians, our, our growth rate is shallow. And so we're not finding the kind of peace and the hope that people are looking for. And so we've got, every, every Sunday morning, you've got to understand, this, there are people here that, that flat out reject Christianity, but they're thinking about it. There are believers here, they're just struggling. And there are people who are enthusiastic and devoted and, and want to grow in their understanding of Jesus. And so what's most important here, as we see the method that Paul calls us to live, or how we want to share this message, share this mystery, Paul says two things about it. The method of sharing the gospel mystery or the gospel paradox is two things. Number one, it's that you are humble. The method is you do it in humility, but you also do it in boldness. First we see humility. And Paul says in verse 8, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Listen, don't ever underestimate the power of humility. Humility says, um, that's a good point. L let me think about that. Humility might say, you know what, that's a really good question. I'm not really sure the answer to it. Obnoxious is when you say something really stupid and, and, and trite and condescending, that the person's like, you're just really an idiot. And you just, you would, I would just like believe you and listen to you if you just say, I don't know sometimes. What happens is, Christians, we want to just have all the answers. We oversimplify the complexity of life. And Paul is saying, live with humility. You don't know everything all the time. I don't know. Listen, people, people ask me questions all the time. I don't know. The nice thing is I've got smart friends. I call Todd, I call Renner, I call other people. I don't know. But maybe I can find people who do. Sometimes I know the answer, sometimes I don't. But Paul is saying, demonstrate this. Live with humility. We are called to proclaim and live out and share this gospel message, the gospel paradox, the gospel mystery. But we're to do it with humility. And where do we point people to? He says, to the unsearchable riches of Christ. That was his quest in life. That people would find the value of Christ. In a, in a world that is always pushing alternative values, alternative things, to find your identity, to find your riches in Christ. He says this, and to, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden of ages in God who created all things? The gospel message is inclusive. It's for all people. Paul is saying, will you share with me, will you enter with me this burden to be a co-labor, to be sharing 
with me in the spreading of the gospel paradox, of the mystery, that all people are equal in Christ. And next, here's how we see the boldness. Verse 11, this was according to the purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. At any moment in time, we have access to the power of God. There is this tension that we strive to live in. We live in with humility, but in boldness. Not in boldness of our giftedness or our talents, but boldness in the power of God. And what happens is if we're, if we're too strong in humility, we'll never say anything to anyone. And if we're too strong in boldness, we'll just be obnoxious and bother people. The, the attitude in which you live out your Christian life, your lifestyle attitude, conveys so much. Often, I hear people that say, you know what, just stop talking to me about a Bible verse or stop talking about what the Bible says. Just tone it down a little bit. Live with some humility. And then maybe I'll listen to you. Balancing that with the power of God. That you cannot save anyone. It is the power of God that, that creates regeneration in your life, in the lives of people in our community. I said at the beginning that it is the responsibility of the leaders of our church to set a tone of unity that promotes gospel unity that says that says the reality of life is that we'll have problems that we have to deal with problems that we need to encourage people to forgive that we need to encourage people to say kind things and not hurt people's feelings so we don't have to ask for forgiveness It is our responsibility to set the tone and encourage people to use spiritual gifts with humbleness, with boldness, so that we can join with Paul and, and be partakers of people who understand the value of knowing Christ, people who understand the riches of Christ. He finishes up by saying this, I ask you not to lose heart. I ask you to not lose heart. And I just want to finish up with this. As believers, you've got to understand that the the key component of this is perseverance, is not giving up on people. Don't lose heart. We are also tempted to give up on our friends. Someone does something that offends you or hurts you. You just want to give up on friends and go on to the next friend. I was laughing with Karen, I think, I think it was Karen the other day, and I was talking about my college roommate, and, um, and I say this jokingly, but he, he like kind of broke up with me. We were, we <laughs> and I wasn't meaning his, like, this is like going on the internet, right? <laughs> he wasn't, I wasn't meeting his spiritual needs, and so he, like, he wanted to break up with me and find someone who would. I'm like, okay. Okay. Um, but he, my point is this, listen, people are going to let you down. Don't give up on people. This church will let you down. If you stay here long enough, people will let you down. Jesus will not let you down. He's Paul is saying, don't lose heart. Stay committed 
to the paradox of the gospel. That something might seem upside down or reverse, but when you look at it more closely, when we say things like, to gain your life, you must lose it. To be in prison for understanding the riches of Christ, that there's something more valuable. It's a tremendous and life-changing journey when you view this mystery and you see the unity that it promotes, that it reconciles old enemies, enemies for millennia. And because of Jesus, there's gospel unity. We're going to worship in just a minute, and I just want you to think about and, and, and pray just as we worship. If there's something that you can do to promote the mystery, to promote unity, whether it's at work, at school, at our church, and that, that might mean letting go of a grudge, asking forgiveness, being honest, dealing with the reality of your life. Jesus is faithful to forgive. He desires healthy relationships. He desires unity in our church. It is a a vital life sign of our church. It is a vital life sign of your friendships, of your marriage, of your family, that there is unity in those relationships. Let's pray. Father, I... uh, I'm assuming that you had Paul repeat what he said in chapter 2 because we can be thick-headed and stubborn and naturally be divisive and break off into groups. And so Paul has to repeat himself in the beginning part of chapter 3 to get it into our heads, get it into our hearts that unity is the lifeline, is the life sign uh, of a church of relationships. And so I just pray this morning, Father, that through the power of your Spirit, that this would be a place that families, that marriages, that moms and dads, children, workplaces, our church, would be a place where people are pursuing unity by using their gifts that you've given us, that we are reaching out, that we are willing to forgive, that we are willing to to let go of grudges, Father, I pray that we would be a place where we persevere, where we don't give up on people. That we see the best, we see them through the eyes of your grace. Thank you this morning for the good news, for the, for the, the mystery of the good news. That you love flawed people. That you love us more than we know. We say thank you to that. In Jesus' name, amen.